Today, we'll cover the best and worst psych meds for pregnancy, while keeping in mind that the safest scenario of all is a healthy mother. Welcome to the Carlite Psychiatry Podcast, keeping psychiatry honest since 2003. I'm Chris Aiken, the Editor-in-Chief of the Carlite Psychiatry Report. And I'm Kelly Newsom, a psychiatric NP and a dedicated reader of every issue. Last week, we started to talk about psychiatric meds in pregnancy, but the podcast was already getting too dense with new information. So we'll pick up on that here with pearls gleaned from Dr. Anita Clayton's talk at the 9th Annual Mood Disorder Summit. To recap, there are risks both ways, with medication and with untreated depression, for the developing baby. Women with untreated depression have higher rates of preterm delivery, low birth rates, and delayed developmental milestones. They are less likely to take care of themselves, which means poor nutrition, substance abuse, alcohol, and non-adherence with prenatal care. And that's not even counting the risk of active depression once the baby is delivered. The first thing a baby learns to see is two black dots. It's mother's eyes. And if those eyes are disengaged, it's going to take a toll on development. Untreated depression makes it more difficult to breastfeed and it even changes the quality of the breast milk. Women with active depression have saltier breast milk, which often causes the infant to reject it. But it's not true that every woman with depression needs to stay on the antidepressant. The risk of relapse is low for some, and they can safely come off it while adding in some antidepressant activity like brisk walking, psychotherapy, Mediterranean diet, or a morning light box if there's a seasonal component. Here are the situations where the risk is higher and it may be worth staying with the medication. Anyone who has had a severe past episode, like one that caused them to be unable to work, had suicidal or psychotic features, or led to hospitalization. Anyone with recurrent depression who has had more than one episode. Anyone with a history of postpartum depression. And anyone with bipolar disorder. In terms of the risks with medications, it's in the first trimester that we worry the most. That's when the major organs are developing and teratogenic malformations can occur. But only a few psych meds are associated with clear and relevant dangers here that give us reason to avoid them if we can in pregnancy. According to Dr. Clayton, those are paroxetine, Paxil, Valproate, Depakote, Lithium, carbamazepine, the tricyclic antidepressants, particularly clomipramine, benzodiazepines, and stimulants like Ritalin and Adderall. A few years ago, the FDA updated their classification system to drop the A, B, C, D risk levels, which were too simplistic, and instead give clinicians the actual risks in detail in the PDR. So you can find that for those medications there, and that's a good resource, but I'll highlight the risk for you here. For paroxetine, lithium, and the tricyclic antidepressants, we worry about cardiovascular malformations in the heart. For valproate, depakote, and carbamazepine, here the worry is neurotube defects, like the spinal cord not closing, and there's several more with valproate, including a large study that found 10-point lower IQ points in the offspring of women who took valproate Depakote. So with all that adding up, Depakote is about the least safe medication you can give during pregnancy. 
at least among psychiatric meds. For benzodiazepines, there's a risk of various malformations as well as neonatal flaccidity and respiratory and feeding difficulties in the infant, but newer data suggests that there might be little or no risk with benzos. However, most guidelines recommend discontinuing them if possible with a taper. Benzo withdrawal itself might be harmful to the mother and possibly the fetus. Finally, there's stimulants. And here the worry is around maternal hypertension, high blood pressure. There's a slightly increased, very small increased risk of premature labor and delivery, as well as of preeclampsia in women who take stimulants. And preeclampsia involves high blood pressure as well. For each of those medications, you have to weigh three risks. The risk of untreated psychiatric illness to the mother, to the fetus, and the risks of medications to the fetus. That's not easy to compute. It might seem like untreated ADHD poses no risks to the fetus. But think again. What about traffic accidents or substance abuse, including excess caffeine when ADHD goes untreated? If you do end up using stimulants in pregnancy, we recommend you cite this article called ADHD in Pregnancy by Marlene Freeman from the American Journal of Psychiatry 2014. In it, she argues that stimulant use may be indicated in severe ADHD, where the risks of traffic accidents potentially outweigh the risks of the medication. Of course, you would only use medications if they actually treated the psychiatric illness. And medications are not the only way to treat psych illness. Always think about psychotherapy, exercise, Lightbox, and ECT and TMS are actually very safe for pregnancy. You want to go with what works and get to what works quickly. Too many medication changes are not going to be good for a pregnancy, as is medications with too many metabolites, too much unnecessary polypharmacy. Get rid of drugs that they do not need. When all the data is stacked together, it's women who continue to have depression despite being on ineffective antidepressants who have the worst outcomes for their offspring. Now for the safer meds. In bipolar disorder, the safer medication options are lamotrigine and, surprisingly, the atypical antipsychotics. In depression, the safest is technically fluoxetine, but this one, Prozac, is not as ideal for breastfeeding, in part because of its long half-life. We're going to get to breastfeeding more in the next episode. So if your patient plans to breastfeed and they have depression and they've planned to become pregnant and they've never been on an antidepressant before, then sertraline, Zoloft, is going to be your best choice that balances all risks there. All this is good information to know, but it leaves us in an uneasy position when it comes to lithium and bipolar disorder in a woman with pregnancy. One in three bipolar patients respond uniquely to lithium, and these tend to be the ones with classic bipolar symptoms. They can be bipolar one or two, but they tend to have pure euphoric manias or hypomanias with clean separation between their mood episodes. They have long periods of full recovery, and their depressions tend to follow the highs as though following the law that what goes up must come down. For these patients, 
Lithium offers better protection against future episodes than any treatment we know of, while the peripartum period is going to be the highest risk factor for future episodes than any other event in their lives. But lithium is on the no-fly list. So what do you do? That doesn't mean that you can't use lithium. The big fear with lithium in pregnancy is Epstein's abnormality, a cardiac malformation that caused alarm when a string of reports first came out in the early 1970s. But those were just reports. What we really need is good comparison groups in this area where controlled trials are understandably unethical. So we look to a new analysis from the American Journal of Psychiatry, which provides us more accurate measures by pulling together multiple studies and comparing apples to apples. In these comparisons, both groups of pregnant women had mood disorders, so the only difference between the two groups was that one took lithium. One risk stood out as significantly related to lithium here, and that was congenital anomalies, particularly cardiac anomalies like Epstein's and atrioventricular septal defects. The paper also gives us usable numbers for these. The risk due to lithium for any congenital anomaly is 1 in 38. So 1 in 38 women are going to have a problem in their offspring if they take lithium. The risk for cardiac anomalies is 1 in 83. And when I say congenital anomaly, I'm talking about any structural defect in the organs, like neural tube defects where the spinal cord doesn't close, or hypospadias in boys where the opening of the urethra is not located at the tip of the penis. There are two ways to lower these risks with lithium. First, avoid exposure during the first trimester. That removed the risk of cardiac anomalies, though it didn't completely eliminate the risk of all anomalies. Next, stick to the lowest dose of lithium that works, as the risk was dose-dependent in this analysis. But Dr. Clayton emphasized that for other medications, the risks are not dose-dependent. So you don't gain anything and do lose a lot by lowering the dose of an antidepressant just to minimize the risks. Relapse rates are not as bad after lowering the dose as they are when women stop their antidepressant altogether. They are in the middle, about halfway between staying on and stopping. And that puts these women into a whole new category, the ones who have depression despite taking an antidepressant. Outcomes for the infant were the worst for this group. One more thing you need to know about pregnancy and medications is that many medications need their doses raised in the third trimester. For one thing, the volume of distribution increases, and that dilutes the medications amongst all that blood flow during pregnancy. But pregnancy also increases the metabolism of some meds in the liver. For example, lamotrigine might need to be as much as doubled during the third trimester to keep the levels the same. If your patient is doing well and has a long history of stability, you might just keep the dose the same. But for anyone else, it's best to raise lamotrigine in this period. As we end this podcast, let's make a list of some of the key drugs to know in pregnancy. All psychotropic medications cross the placenta. 
are present in amniotic fluid and can enter breast milk, but they don't all have the same risk. And just because a medication has high risk in pregnancy does not mean it's high risk for breastfeeding. First, the meds with the highest risk in pregnancy. Paroxetine Paxil, Valproate Depakote, Lithium, Carbamazepine, Tricyclic Antidepressants, Benzodiazepines, and stimulants like Ritalin and Adderall. The safest antidepressant, or at least the one with the most robust safety data, is fluoxetine. But this one is not ideal for breastfeeding. So if your patient plans to breastfeed and they have never been on an antidepressant before, then sertraline Zoloft is your best choice. The following antidepressants are not as well studied, but we at least don't know of any major risks with them. Bupropion, trazodone, mirtazapine, and all the SSRIs and SNRIs. And the worry here in pregnancy is about teratogenicity as the organs are developing in the first trimester. But when it comes to breastfeeding, the risks are very different. There we worry about how much the medication passes into the breast milk and what the risks of toxicity are for the neonate and the infant. Next week, we're going to pick up there and introduce you to the FDA's new system for rating lactation risks with medications. If you missed the Mood Disorder Summit, catch it next September where they'll return to a real in-person conference in Scottsdale, Arizona. The conference will also be simulcast for a virtual audience, and admission is free for all attendees. You can earn continuing education credits for this episode through the link in the show notes, and you can get access to the full journal online and get $30 off with the promo code PODCAST. We'll see you next week. And if you get hungry for more psych updates before then, follow Dr. Aiken on LinkedIn, search Chris Aiken MD, or Twitter at Chris Aiken MD, where he posts a new finding every day. Today's study concerns an antidepressant that is moving closer to FDA approval and whose mechanism of action has nothing in common with the other 30 antidepressants on the market. Zoranolone. So